My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is bread for the people? Do you like it like this? Welcome to bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to bread for the people. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today we have a special guest all the way from Minot, North Dakota. I was going through my deep dives on Instagram and also through a list on the Baker's Guild of America, which I think is where I heard of Prairie Sky Breads. And I tracked down the owner, Travis. Travis Gurgitz, and he's here with me today. He's the founder and co-owner of Prairie Sky Breads from Minot, North Dakota. Please welcome Travis. Hey, thanks, Jim, for having me. This is great. Yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, <laughs> taking the time after uh, presumably a long morning, although today's Monday, so I'm not quite sure of your schedule. It's my day off. And I actually haven't been doing, yeah, I haven't been doing even that much bakery work today, so it, it, it maybe is actually a day off, which is great. It's good to clear your head a little bit, right? It's great. Yeah. I mean, we all need it. And unfortunately, you know, in this business, there's just some, some weeks you don't get it and, uh, and you feel that later on, but today's, today's one of those good days where I get to just take a break. So what I'm curious to hear about and learn about today is the evolution of how you started at farmer's markets. I know that you were inspired by, I believe your grandmother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, that, that always stayed with you, but you, you took that passion and I'm assuming what was a hobby and started doing farmer's markets alone. Is that right? Yeah, that was the start is a farmer, a farmer's market in Minot and it, it's kind of grown from there. It's been, we started in 2014 and, and now here we are with a brick and mortar location and uh, making a lot more bread than we started out making. So paint a picture of a farmer's market in Minot for me. I, I know uh, I'm I'm in Long Island, New York. I'm assuming it's way more populated than than Minot, um, but maybe not. Are the farmers markets located in the downtown area or in a more rural location? We're um, we've got two farmers markets in Minot, um, and uh, the one that that we're usually showing up at, we're in a park. Um, not far from the downtown area, but, um, not right downtown. Got a good number of vendors. Um, what is a good number of vendors? Oh, let's see. I'd say we got, um, you know, we're between 20 and 40, depending on what time of the season we're at. So we're, we're pretty far North. Um, so there's a lot of the pro, especially the produce people that, um, we might be pretty thin at the beginning of the season. Some, some folks are only bringing certain things, uh, you know, watermelons or, or sweet corn or something. So, you know, when we hit that late July, August, then we might have 40 vendors um, and things are really, really busy down at the, the park. But uh, so, yeah, and actually when we moved, so I'm originally from the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Ah. And uh, my wife's from, from up in this area. Uh, so when we moved to Minot in 2013, I didn't know anybody. Um, Let me ask you a question. Was yeah. did it go like this? Let's find someplace even colder than the <laughs> Twin Cities. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we we joke about it. Even um, yeah, the, you know, Minnesota. We're pretty far north. We got tough winters, and we yeah, we move farther north. We are not that far from the the Canadian border, and um, it's uh, it's just yeah, it's a different world out here. And the prairies, um, and that really was inspiring to me, coming from lakes and woods in Minnesota, Prairie Sky Breads. It's where we got the name from. Um, and this place grows on you. You know, I have no no reservations about moving to this part of the world. But when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. And uh, we we had some some dreams about maybe, you know, doing some produce stuff. And I wanted to get involved in farmer's market. And at that point, when we had moved, it was too late for us to get a garden in the ground and do anything really with farmer's market. There was a market manager at the time. He was looking for some more help. He had me jump in. I was going to help him for the season. But early on, uh, at the farmers markets, everybody's kind of got the same things. We've got some like early greens, some spring onions, maybe some turnips, mm-hmm. um, just radishes. Sorry, and uh, so he he was asking, "Is there anything that you can do to kind of make our stand uh, pop out as produce growers?" And I said, "Well, I can do a little bit of baking." Um, you know, up to that point, I was mostly a bread eater. I loved eating bread, and especially my grandmother's bread, um, Nana. Um, there wasn't any family gathering that we had that. You know, we didn't have Nana's rolls or dinner rolls, um, you know, maybe some, one of her pies, uh, just her breads. She was a great baker, um, and it's what my mom and, and her siblings grew up eating was all this fresh homemade stuff. And uh, before we moved to Minot, my wife and I were doing some traveling, and um, we, we, we popped in. We're volunteering at this soup kitchen um, in Liverpool, England, of all places. That's a whole other story of how we got there. But wow. um, we one of the things that they were doing um, at this soup kitchen is having people come in before the meal and bake bread together as a community. It was one part like teaching and instruction, but one part like getting all these different people from the community, well-to-do people, unhomed people, uh, all kinds of folks together in one spot doing this thing together. It was really, really cool. It was really, really cool. What a great way to bring the community together. Yeah, it was really inspiring. I think it's, I mean, they... Um, their philosophy, their mission, um, even some of their little taglines, they really stuck with me, especially as we're kind of getting the bakery off the ground. Um, but the bread that they made there reminded me so much of my grandmother's bread. Was and it yeast point, bread or was it uh, sourdough yeah, it was, it was, um They did a white and a whole wheat yeasted sandwich loaf. Okay. Um, and I think especially fresh, uh, still a little warm, I just um, and the smell of it reminded me a lot of, of the loaves that my grandmother was making. Um and so I, um, my, none of my, my mom, her siblings, none of them were, were picking up any of grandma's recipes. So I thought, you know, when I get back, I want to, I want to learn how to bake this stuff. So as my grandmother gets older and older, she's having trouble kneading the dough. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's getting a little harder that we don't lose some of these recipes for our family. So that's what right. I did. And if nothing else, if that had been all that had happened with this, that would have been, you know, a treasure unto itself is just to spend some afternoons with my grandmother right. baking with her. And learning um, how to make some of these um, these breads that that she made. Um, so, so let me let me see if I have this right. Yeah. So you have this background and this context for making bread between your grandmother and then you, when you went to England, you started to use that and it brought a lot of people together. And you ultimately move from the Twin Cities to Minot, and you're working for produce at a farmers market, and you decide maybe me baking bread. Uh, we'll make this stand stand out. That's pretty much where we're at, correct? Exactly. Now, uh, before we even get to the bread part, 
you say you moved to town without knowing anybody. I'm assuming you're talking about you and your wife. Uh, and the farmer's market was a way not only to make some money and do something on the weekends, but you actually probably ended up meeting people there. Yeah, and for me, so my wife still had some family here, and growing, she grew up here, so she knew she knew some folks. I didn't know anybody, and this was a way for me to yeah build those connections, and maybe even build some of those connections through food and through baking and through bread, and that's exactly what happened. So, that's what I love about farmers markets, without even realizing that that was going to happen to me because I was new to food and farmers markets when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met a lot of people that are friends of mine to this day. And granted, I'm only about three and a half years in, but it's opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah, it was. I mean, um, the connections that we made that, uh, I mean, some of these folks for sure are friends. Um, a lot of them are longtime customers. I'm sure we've still got customers that were coming and checking us out in 2014. And we have some people that very proudly, you know, they were on the original bread subscription list when we started going year round. Um and, and yeah, these folks have been with us for a long time. So it's, it was a lifesaver for me, you know, the way that this bread was kind of a, a road into some people's lives. Um, so when we, that first farmer's market, we showed up, I had six loaves of bread and it took me all farmer's market to sell these six loaves of bread. Um, but as I like to tell the story, Prairie Sky Bread started the second market when some of those people then came back right. um, and they were looking for more bread, but then they were telling me, like, here's, oh man, you know, I made this great sandwich. Here's what I did with it. Or like, oh, this bread, it reminded me, we've got a big Air Force base just north of town. Um, it reminded me of, of this bread that I got in Germany when I was stationed over there in these open air farmers markets. And like, oh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? That sounds really interesting. What were they selling over there in Germany? And then we just have these conversations. And yeah, pretty soon I'm making some connections. There's some familiar faces in town and it doesn't feel like, you know, um, I'm such a stranger in this, in this new place. Yeah. So... How, how long did it take um, for it to catch on at the produce stand so that it would become its own thing and maybe, I'm assuming, your own bread booth? Yeah. I think, you know, even by week two or three, I was hooked. I mean, I was loving the, those, the morning routine of getting up early, you know, having that be the first thing that you're smelling, the first thing that you're seeing and working with in, in the morning. Um, and then, you know, just the the social component of it and getting some of that feedback too, that people were really enjoying the bread. I knew that the next year I was going to have a bread stand. I was done with the produce thing. Um, things kicked, you know, we started having bigger harvests. We had to do more work um, out in the, out in the fields, out in the gardens. And so I, I had to drop the bread after maybe the first month that we were there. And then it was just produce. But for me, I was hooked And the next year. That's what I did. I got a rental kitchen space um, instead of bringing, you know, 12, 18 loaves of bread. Now it's, you know, we're trying to get to 70, 80, 90, a hundred loaves of bread. And, uh, and that's, that's all I was doing. That's great. What are the laws to be a cottage baker in Minot, North Dakota at a farmer's market? Yeah, I think, I mean, the big one is labeling. Um, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're baking out of a home kitchen, um, or, a, um, I'd have to go back and look how it's worded, but even when I was in rental kitchen spaces, just making sure that everybody knows that um, this is not an inspected product that's coming out of a, a home environment. Um, and so you're, you're passing maybe that choice and that responsibility onto the customer. If they enjoy what you're doing, um, they know that this isn't coming from um, an inspected 
uh, commercial kitchen, you know, then they might, they might choose to go another direction. Right. But, uh, I, I, did you have to file that, for a permit for, to be a home baker? And did you have to bag your bread? Um, no and no. Um, okay. we could, we could have it open air, um, when we showed up to market. Um, and as far as registering, I think with liability and insurance stuff, that's all going to fall on the farmer's market. So we register with the market and markets taking care of um, any of the sort of legal insurance okay. uh, state issues. It's um, different here. Yeah. It's not, I think I've, I've heard some stories from some other uh, baker friends from other states and, you know, ing- the ingredients that you can use, um, storage, transportation, there's a lot of things. North Dakota feels pretty wide open um, <laughs> in, in a lot of, which maybe isn't, isn't surprising. Uh, but yeah, for, for your listeners, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different game out here for farmer's market. Right. Did it, did it change? I'm going to jump ahead for a second. Then we'll go back with COVID. Did they change? Cause I think we were allowed to, before I got into it, I started during the pandemic. I, th- I think before that we could sell our bread loose, which means not necessarily wrapped or bagged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but technically you're not supposed to do that now. It's supposed to be bagged and labeled with all the ingredients, whether you're a home baker or a uh, uh, commercial processor. Yeah. Um, I think as a market, we've tried to, uh, I'm currently on the market board, and we've tried to encourage people to maintain some of those health and safety practices that, um, you know, sometimes we, like, they should have been around probably some of these things before Mm. COVID, but certainly... um, yeah, once once COVID kicked off, um, things kind of changed. Yeah, got Zach rolling in here. Um, but yeah, so we uh, we don't. I don't think the um, our our health inspector is going to be watching for that. But as a market, we've changed our policy to to be a little bit more diligent about how people are handling and labeling um, yeah. some of their products. So what were the, some of the challenges as you went from a dozen loaves of bread to 70? Because at that point, <laughs> when you went to the 70, you went to a new fit place to bake or were you baking yeah. at the same place? Yeah, it did. So we, when I started, it was just out of my, we had moved in with my mother-in-law. We were trying to find a place. So I was in their kitchen using, yeah. you know, my mother-in-law's <laughs> mixer and, you know, making these just micro batches of bread. And, um, so, you know, so then, then you're starting to become aware of uh, equipment, uh-huh. um, what equipment works, what doesn't, um, and the size of things, you know, um, and where the bottlenecks are. So, like, I remember that first kitchen, you know, the mixer, we, we could maybe make 12 to 16 um, loaves of bread. In That's that pretty mixer. good. Yeah. It, I mean. It's a 20-quart mixer, probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um but then depending on the doughs you were making, you know, I was learning that, okay, you know, this mixer can handle if we're making, um, you know, any kind of sandwich bread, it's great. Um, if we're trying to mix things up for um, our subscriptions and getting people different kinds of breads every week, yeah. uh, a pretzel dough or something like, oof, you know, that we we're making it, it was very, very low hydration and, and it was not, you know, it was burning out the motor. Um, <laughs> so so uh, just... The, the equipment was one thing and then just you know the time of everything you know, i so still the, bake with a 20 quart mixer oh man they're great and, and i'm putting out well over 100 loaves um it's the only thing i know I, I i would be really interested in in going to a 50 
but then I need the oven space to match it. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, the, you know, in, in baking, and I've heard you talk too about just, you know, your process and in, in, in converting recipes. And, and, yes. and I think for both of us, um, the science is not, um, it's, it's, I'll speak for myself. It's not where I'm at. I, I'm trying to catch up to the science and so am I'm I. teaching classes. Yeah. It's, so um, it's just a little above where my brain's at. Um, <laughs> I, I like the art of it. I like, um, you know, the feeling of it. I like what it does in bringing people together around a table. I love in our baking room right now, we've got windows so we can see people that are enjoying that bread or that sandwich, those soups. That's the best. Um, it's the best. It's, um, my dream it. is to design a bakery where it's open in the way a pizza place may have an open kitchen and you see the pizza oven. Cause that's such a part of the experience. Mm -hmm. um to see the baking it's it's to me they're kind of the same uh i would love to have an open bakery yeah it's um it was the best thing i ever asked for as we when we were the first um it was a retrofitted building downtown that we ended up jumping ahead in the store getting into but yeah having those windows on the bake room so that we we can see everybody out in the dining room but then they can see what we're doing and it's it's so much fun to have um, little kids coming up and just like peeking over the window and watching us shape yeah. rolls or make cinnamon rolls. Um, now, I looked online and I, I saw some pictures. You're in a corner space. Yeah, we're right. We're on a corner space um, on Central Avenue and First Street. So just one block off Main Street um, in downtown Minot. So what is it like a three or four story building like a downtown yeah, the, it's a weird, it's a weird building. The one that we're in, um, there's the main level and then there's a basement level, which we're actually looking at maybe getting some space in because we've kind of outgrown our, our space a little bit already wow. uh, by a little bit, maybe a lot of it. Um, and then there's an attached building that used to be a three-story hotel and uh, that was a restaurant is now going to be a new restaurant um, with, with a bar and uh, event space and all kinds of stuff. But we're, we're just in one level there's a few different spaces um in that in that uh in that building and we're we're one of them that's awesome so the second year that you're in minot you have your own bread stand at the same market and you're coming with about 70 loaves of bread mm -hmm. um is it is it one day a week it's one day a week um the the farmers markets Tuesday Thursday Saturday we were just doing Saturday that's all for some of the other life responsibilities I had because I had, you know I dreamed about like maybe someday have a bakery or this is this is a little bit more of a gig than it is now um, but but I knew that it was going to take me a while to get not only my baking legs under me because this was especially at this scale it's all still very new. Um, but figuring out if I was going to do that, you know, how do the finances work? What does staffing look like? Equipment, all that stuff. So this was like a five, 10 year plan from the get go. Um, if it right. was even going to be a thing, it was kind of a dream, something my, my wife and I would talk about. And, um, but yeah, so we were, we were bringing 70 to a hundred loaves. Uh, so I, a bread. I have a question here. You, you yeah. talk about we, so you're talking about you and your wife. She's I, helping. Um, she, she is helping a little bit. Kids would come in once in a while, maybe help bag bread. Um, but even at this point, maybe just some friends occasionally coming in to, um, to help bag bread or maybe help me clean the kitchen because I'm just spent from an all-night baking and then, you know, farmer's market and so things like that. I back. want but, to, to understand what your prep, to, do, to show up with 70 loaves of bread on a Saturday, 
what had to happen during the week to get to that point? I mean, I feel like, um, I think at that point, even we were starting to do some pre-orders. So we had some assemblage of a website that people could go and put in some pre-orders so that we, we could have some maybe starting number for like, you know, where, where, and what people wanted. Um, uh-huh. so maybe we'd make a, one or two different, uh, maybe a white bread, white sandwich bread and a multi-grain sandwich bread. And then we do some yeasted rustic loaves or baking them. And I think, I think that first year even I, I committed and bought, uh, 16 dutch ovens so that we could oh my take them because that was just i tried the steam in the oven and the ice cubes and all and so now i'm moving when it's time to set up so during the week there's there's pre-orders there's prepping packaging stamping putting the ingredient labels on but nothing no prepping dries no advancing your mixes no i mean i i should have been smarter and you know <laughs> scaled stuff out and got some stuff ready to go but um no then i would just haul everything um maybe at you know, as soon as they would let me get in. So maybe it'd be five in the afternoon and I'm bringing in the cooling racks and 16 Dutch ovens and bags of flour and all this stuff. There's in every rental kitchen we've been in, there's always been very little storage that we've been able to, to utilize. So it's mostly me hauling stuff in, getting everything set up, getting the ovens turned on. Um, sometimes I've, I've come and I've mixed some kind of pre-ferment, uh, to get going earlier in the day. Um, but sometimes need to get that going. And then, and then it's uh, leading up the prep is like setting up the schedule and, and trying to, to block off on a spreadsheet, all these different doughs I'm going to try to be mixing and their schedules, how long it's going to take me to shape them, bake time. I got to preheat Dutch ovens. It's just this like, you know, crazy multicolored spreadsheet. And I mean, it was to the point, Jim, where like, I'm not drinking water because I don't have time to go use the bathroom. Like it's not, you know, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, But the funny thing is that first year, you know, we did get up to selling like a hundred loaves of bread. And now we're starting to play around with this going year round where we're going to do subscriptions, which in Minot, North Dakota is a terrible idea. (laughs) I don't recommend any place. There's a lot of snow. Uh, You don't want to do year round uh, deliveries, but um I just remember that first year, you know, at that point we're selling them for like $5 a loaf and I'm selling maybe a hundred loaves um, at a farmer's market. I'm thinking that I am just, I'm just king of the castle. This is so great. And I'm going to end the summer, right. With this amount of money that our family could use for like a little vacation or like something. Um, and I feel like this is where like the realities of being an entrepreneur and a bakery owner kind of hit home is we got to the end of the season. I'm paying out some of my friends that have come in to help. Uh, I'm getting hit with that rent bill, which came at the end of the season. Um, some of the market fees, I purchased some equipment. And <laughs> when I get to the end of the season, there's no money left. There's no, I didn't make any money doing this uh, for that first season. This is where I'm at with my food truck right now. You're yeah. exactly where I'm at. <laughs> I, I, I feel for you. I feel for all of us that, um, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, I mean, for first of all, it's just not an industry where it's, it's hard to make a living no matter what. And that's usually not why you're doing it. Um, I know I've heard you talk about that on the podcast before, but, um, it was, it was, if we were going to grow this thing and if it was going to be ever something that was going to pay me to do it, um, I knew that at that point, you know, I needed to, I needed to, to learn a lot about what it was going to take to get this thing to the next level. If that was something that we even wanted to pursue. And even at that point we got to this, you know, we were in this middle space where if we were smaller, if it was just me, maybe baking out of my home there was a chance to make some amount of money. 
Mm-hmm. And if we were larger and could, could bake in, in, in bigger batches and, you know, I didn't know all the expenses that would come with that, but that seemed like a way to make money. But we were in this middle space where making more just meant that you had to stay there longer. Maybe you had to pay more people to come and help you. And it, you couldn't ever get ahead of that. You were never, your See, profit margin wasn't changing. When I first reached out to you, you were like, are you sure you want to talk to me? But I, I still I, don't know why I'm, t- <laughs> why I'm well, talking I have to, to tell me, you, I am where you were. I uh, am in the middle space. And, and not that I knew that when I reached out to you. Yeah. But I'm telling you, like, this is fascinating to me because I haven't made a decision on what to do, where to go, should I make the move. But I am exactly where you are describing. Yeah. And it's it's a because then it's, you know, you got to make a, a choice. And it's do I am I doing this for the love of baking? And maybe I want to just stay small. Um, have this community right. around this product that I'm making. There's a, Which, by a the lot way, fewer headaches. Yep. For, for some, that's a great choice. There's nothing oh, wrong with that choice. Nothing wrong with that choice. Um, there's, there's so many advantages to that choice. And it's, it's just a, it's a preference. It's what you are doing it for and what you want to get out of it. And there's a lot of days where, you know, that's an appealing choice. There's a lot of headaches that come with scaling up. Um, but, but, we'll but where do you even minute. go to learn this next part? Cause it, it's, mm-hmm. it's even less about, maybe it is the baking and the scaling and the scheduling of how to produce at that level. Cause obviously things have to change to the most efficient manner, but I don't know, outfitting the bakery, designing the bakery, scheduling employees, how many employees like that, all that stuff. I have no idea about, and I'm not sure where to go to even learn it. Yeah. Well, I know um, it sounds like you've got some friends for sure in the, in the restaurant yeah. industry, so they're going to be super helpful to talk to. Um, it was weird, too, because I, when I got to that point, I was in Minot, North Dakota. And if I was still back in the Twin Cities, um, there are more bakeries doing the kind of thing that we're trying to do. And you know, so far, in my experience, just bakers are so generous with with recipes, with knowledge, with, you know, tips on equipment, with little tricks about how they get, you know, their doughs to do whatever. And, and, um, so for, so, you know, to start that, I went out to the San Francisco baking Institute for one week, um, doing like a sourdough breads class. Cause that was something that I knew I wanted to do more with and just didn't know enough about. Got it. So I did that. And while I was out there, they were super generous. I'm sure they get asked this all the time. I know they do. They've got a list of bakeries that um, if you want to go and just, you know, like before class to go in for a few hours, talk to the bakers, maybe hit up the bakery owner, see if they'll spend a little time with you. This is a list of bakeries that have said, sure, you can send students our way. Cool. And Where so did every, you go? Um, uh, Josie Miller, I know, is the one that um, stands out to me as the, the play. I think I went there twice, once mm-hmm. just to eat and experience and talk to the staff a little bit, but he was, he was generous enough. There's like three students that we went over there and he sat down with us for like an hour um, nice. and talked about his story, equipment, staffing, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was somebody who I followed up with as we were planning our, our own bakery build uh, for some, some follow-up questions and was so generous in, in, you know, the knowledge that he was willing to share. Um, Coming back to Minot, then there, there weren't a lot of artisan bakeries around us. 
And so actually just looking on the map, besides going back to the Twin Cities, which I did one time, uh, I actually went north to Canada um, to a few bakeries up there. And uh, yeah, same thing, just just talk to owners, talk to staff, talk to everybody that would, you know, give me a little bit of their time and, and try to, to crack into what, what does it take to, to do this thing that I'm hoping to do, but feel so overwhelmed by the amount of decisions that have to happen. And if you get one or two of them wrong, if the size of your oven isn't right and and you've got this big mixer, but this tiny oven or something like it's hard to recover from that. Um, did you plan this out in paper? Yeah, there's, um, it's funny cause I cleaning out our house and moving a couple of times, I'll find pieces of paper from those, those years of planning where I'm, I'm, you know, literally making a list of every piece of equipment that we're going to need right. and, and, you know, the number of proofing baskets or, you know, bread pans, uh, the size of the oven. I remember, uh, our last rental kitchen and having conversation with oven reps just putting, you know, like taping off and putting how many, what size we needed for the size loaves that we mm-hmm. make, um, you know, and, and then using that to kind of figure out what deck size we were going to have and, and then ultimately the size of the oven that we were going to get. And uh, we had the good fortune or challenge of um, the space that we moved into was, had just been made available. The exterior of the building had all been redone. The interior was kind of framed out or whatever, but we got to build out our own space, which is great because all of our equipment fits just the right way. Um, so, so we, we didn't have, we didn't have to figure out some of our equipment size around some of the pre-existing maybe obstacles that would be in a, in a different space. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a lot of spreadsheets and pen and paper and and all that kind of stuff, figuring out what we're going to do. That's great. So at this point, Prairie Sky Breads is open how many days a week? Oh, we're open six days a week. Six days a week. Today, Monday's the day off. Monday's the day off. Um, All right. Except so for a few people who are in prepping right now. <laughs> <laughs> we've got some uh, some colleagues, some bakers here with us. Let's bring them in. Hey, there's a team. All right. So we've got the team. We've added Ramanda Nash and Zach Schuler. Hi. Hey. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Fantastic. So, Ramanda, tell us what you do at Prairie Sky. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm responsible for the good tunes. Hey, that's important. That's one of the reasons I love baking. (laughs) No, so um, I do whatever needs to be done. So just if I'm – how do you – I love to do – um, the cinnamon rolls, caramel rolls, um, shaping of bread. I just, yeah, anything that needs to be done, just if it, you need it done. So how did this even happen? Did they just pull you off the street and say, get in here? Or do you have an interest and a background in baking? Well, I've always had an interest and, uh, a background. Um, I grew up baking, but I originally was up front making coffee, being a barista, and um, just working for the first time after years and years of being home with children. So I thought, oh, this would be a perfect job to get in. So I was making coffee, but as someone who has like never drank coffee before, I just, it was fun and I loved being with the people and just um, learning 
about coffee and making it, but I was super jealous and had some FOMO being up front and watching them make amazing things back in the bake room and me going like, um, I might be underutilized up here making <laughs> coffee. So, uh, so I would bug Travis all the time. Like anytime he was up in the lobby in the front of house, I was asking him baking questions, asking him where he got started with it. So, uh, it just has always been something since I was a little kid. I'm one of the oldest of five and I just was raised in my, I was a kid of the eighties and nineties. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents um, in their home and did a lot of baking for my family since I was the oldest girl. So I about 12 is when I started making bread on my own and I just loved it. So got taught by my grandma and I surpassed her so quick. She got so <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> but so, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Zach, tell yeah. us about what do you do at the bakery? Uh, so I do a lot of the same things. Romanda and I share a lot of responsibilities. So we'll uh, take the breads after they've been mixed and kind of take care of them on their way to the oven. So we'll shape them, fold them, um, just keeping track of the numbers of what we have how we're doing on our production schedule, making sure we're on track for that. Um, but a lot of it is just that same, like whatever the plan tells me I'm going to do, the plan made by Travis is what I'm going to do. Um, and sometimes it, that's covering in the mixer. Sometimes that's running things up front. Like it's, it's a very much a fill in where you're needed. To do is, is there a consistency in terms of how breads are, are shaped? Um, or even, I mean, do you guys use, does everyone have to use a slap and fold method? Is there like one way that you must make the bread or does everyone come to it with something they know? I would say that Travis trains us pretty well to do it the way that it is supposed to be. Because I think something that's important to all of us is a consistent product. Uh, when people come and they get a loaf of bread or they get a pastry, wanting them to know what they're going to get and be able to look forward to having the thing that they love and that they're used to. Um, so I think it is important to us to do things a certain way. Uh, of course, everyone has their own little Var variation. <laughs> variations. Yeah. Um, Got our little spin on it. You can, you can tell, I think we can tell like who's shaped a loaf. Like I can look and be like, Travis shaped that loaf. Yeah. Zach shaped that loaf, I shaped that loaf. Like yeah. you can kind of tell. And just like having a conversation about what that looks like and how, how we might push each other in directions that uh, right. make sure that we're still accomplishing the vision of Praise Guy. So who comes up with the, uh, the structure for the week and, um, and lays out the schedule? So I usually um, come up with a plan for the week and that's, that's sometimes based on uh, special orders, pre-orders, maybe there's special events coming up. We know we're going to do a pop-up at the park in the summer that we're going to need an extra, you know, dozen loaves for sandwiches or whatever it is. Um, we've got a pretty consistent plan um, based on some wholesale orders that we've got um, and, and keeping our sandwich station stocked with certain products, um, you know, never running out of cinnamon rolls, whatever it is. I'm kind of a rotation of, you know, this is what a Tuesday almost always looks like. This is what a Wednesday almost always looks like. So it's just playing with the numbers. Usually mm -hmm. we'll throw in some different stuff every once in a while. And then um, usually every week I will put up the schedule. Here's kind of the plan for the week. And then Zach or Amanda will say, 
what about this? And I'll say, hmm, that's a really good point. I should uh, add that back to the, the baking schedule because I forgot to, to add that. So it's been really helpful, um, especially as we've grown and some of my own responsibilities outside of just baking have grown to have a lot of really skilled eyes on every part of the process. Because we, we all forget to set timers. We all forget to change the oven temp when we're going from, you know, dinner rolls to sourdough or like whatever it is. And that so happens that, here too. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, a lot of people have the same challenges. So, so but um, what's so great about our team right now is that um, everybody's really invested in the quality of the product. And so it's not, you know, neither of these, none of us are here and just, you know, we're, I don't know, here for the paycheck or whatever it is. We're, we're, you know, looking around the bake room and have we, you know, forgot anything is, you know, our, our, our oven temps where we want them or, um, you know, does the schedule look right? Or is that number, even if we've got the right product, you know, doesn't that number doesn't look right. Um, and so we've avoided a lot of big mistakes by having just a really good team. Right. Now it sounds out you do have a lot of consistency and set accounts, wholesale accounts, but do you ever miss your estimate and end up with way too much left over at the end of a given day? Does it ever happen? Oh yeah. It still happens because it happens to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially at farmer's markets when you don't know you, you you've been told it, it just happened. I, I tried one for the first time and it was recommended highly to me. And they're like, you're going to sell so much. So I be- baked aggressively and I didn't sell. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's, it's crushing. You know, we, I think just last week we made a bunch of um, pretzels, which usually sell really well. And it's kind of the retail game. And some of it's just, you know, you don't know why that particular day, they didn't sell well. Sometimes it's, you can point to something like, well, we sold the first few bags and then nobody restocked. We just forgot to ever bring them back up and nobody saw them and it was busy enough. Nobody came back to check. And so they never made it up front and they just sat in the back and yeah. uh, they didn't sell. But then there's, yeah, there's days too where um, a lot of our special events where we do pop up somewhere, um, you know, we just over prep. You don't want to run out of stuff when you're out there at an event. Um, but if you got too much, then, you know, what do you do with it? And it's, that's hard. You know, I was on, on your website this morning and I wish I was on there before this weekend because I ended up, uh, one of my specialties is a prosciutto bread. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's infused with prosciutto and provolone and mm-hmm. black pepper. And it usually sells very well. I had quite a bit left over. And I noticed you're doing bags of crouton, pound bags of croutons for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That would have been a good way for me to repurpose things. Yeah, yeah, that would have been amazing oh. stuffing. Ooh, great stuffing up there. Yeah, yeah. So at, at um, and we don't normally we don't always do croutons, but you know Thanksgiving coming up at this point, if we're you know so certain breads, maybe we wouldn't turn into croutons, but we'll just throw stuff in the freezer for as long as we've got room, and then when we get closer to Thanksgiving, we'll we'll pull them out and and yeah, yeah. Or we've done that with like a bread pudding. You know, you save breads that don't sell and then make an amazing bread pudding out of it. That's something I love about Prairie Sky is that we're very on top of like doing donations to local organizations with our excess food. Um, So just donating to warming centers around town and things like that uh, makes me feel good even when like we do have that excess at the end of the day, which definitely feels a little bad. 
uh, to see your hard work kind of just sitting there. But <laughs> it happens. It happens it to all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, what is your favorite type of bread to bake and why? I think it's got to be the sourdough. Um, I think it being Travis's grandmother's starter uh, makes it feel very personal whenever I'm doing a loaf of sourdough. Um, I think the personality of the bread really comes through. Um, I don't have a lot of background in baking in general. I, um, I'm a science background. I was a student at the university here um, and kind of just wandered in prairie sky breads and loved the environment there. Um, but getting to work with the breads um, and learning the language of like what the bread is trying to tell you when it's too tight, when it's too loose. Um, the sourdough is very good for that. It's very open about communication about what's going on with it. Um, so I really love it for that. It's just fun to work with. That's great. Ramanda, I'm going to hit you with a tough one. Okay. What don't you all bake that you wish you did? No, because I have like prod, like project ADD, like ADHD. Like I just, I want to do it all, but I know we can't, but I would love, um, probably to do something like a croissant or something that challenges me as a baker because that's kind of outside of my wheelhouse just to push creativity a little bit more because we do get into that little a bit of a you know we have a schedule we have a thing that we need to stay on so I miss being a little bit more creative in the bread making part so I just I don't know. I feel like, yeah, just the creative aspect. There's things like. I could relate to that. I'll tell you why. And I'm sure I know where you're all coming from on it. Everyone probably wants to do that. Um, You know, with me, I don't have many people working for me. I, I do bring in and they're not experienced. So I'll have someone from the high school come help me this day and someone. So I have to be on top of them and I'm hitting consistent markets every week. And it just feels like there's no time. So I'm making the same six, seven types of breads and it's taken all the energy out of the world and all my time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you're talking about croissants. I'm trying to go deep into pizza, which is outside my wheelhouse, but I'm trying to become really good at it. And there's just no time. Like I just want to, but I, I do think, uh, it's, you know, every once in a while to carve out time, uh, to do that, which is why I'm happy that my farmer's market season just ended. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. go take a class in Florida and, uh, you know, learn some new things. Oh, that'd be really great. That's great. Yeah. yeah it's, it has been interesting to see in our own baking schedule, you know, the seasonality of things and getting through farmer's market is a huge thing. And when that, when just the difference in the baking schedule and for sure our weekend schedule, when that last market is over, um, then it does feel until we get to the holidays, we've got a little bit of time to play and, yeah. uh, and do some new things. Exactly. Um, Travis, where do you think Prairie Sky is going to be five years from now? <laughs> um, you know, I think so far we've done a pretty good job of basically opening an entirely new business every year that we've been open. Um, we opened we opened two businesses our first year because we opened in February of 2020 immediately got hit by the pandemic and had to kind of throw our business plan out and, and almost open kind of what felt like a new business uh, for the remainder of that year. Um, we've grown a lot. 
We jumped into the state fair. There's another big, um, it's called Hust Fest. It's a Scandinavian heritage festival that draws so many people to our town um, doing, doing pastries and coffee for that. And then we just got an Airstream trailer that was retrofitted as a coffee shop that was running this summer. And that was huge. I mean, that, that really changed our numbers and, and added a lot of work to our plate. So I wouldn't mind if at least this next year, we, we kind of just like did a normal year and see what that felt like. <laughs> I'm with uh, you. I saw that Airstream and it intrigues me. Is it, is it, is the inside for service only? Uh, yeah. And it's really, we, we wanted to maybe try to do some, some sandwiches out of there, like some hot sandwiches, have a little panini press, but, um, both just the, the electricity demand of the coffee stuff that's in there and just the space itself. Um, it's really like, we just do coffee stuff out of there. We can send some cold sandwiches and stuff, but, um, it's, it, uh, but it, it's, it's beautiful. People love it. Um, people come out when they see it. So that's been really fun, but, but a lot of work. Um, I do the sandwiches on my, my, uh, trailer with a propane pizza oven. Yeah. I was uh, actually inspired by some of the folks that you've, you've been visiting with on the podcast. I'm, I'm just sort of like percolating on what would it look like to get an outdoor pizza set up, kind of a little mobile unit rolling. Um, so I don't think for next summer, maybe, but, yeah. um, maybe down the road, that would be something that would be be really fun but you know in five years i hope that we're really just doing a lot of what we're doing now which is um it's the same reason i got into it which is is you know connecting to the community i hope that we're continuing to find ways to um to be fed by our community and the people that come in and really inspire us and, and, and cheerlead for us and keep us going but you know find those those avenues that we can give back to the community and and be you know, one of the many places in Minot, I know nobody's heard of Minot, North Dakota, but, you know, like so many towns around the country, we, you know, just great people. And there are some amazing businesses and artists and leaders that are here. Um, that just feels really, feel really privileged to just kind of be a part of the, you know, the downtown and community conversation. And we hope that in five years, that's still where we're at. That sounds great. It sounds like a beautiful thing. I love what you're doing. Um, I love talking with all three of you. I am disappointed that the accents don't match uh, Fran <laughs> Francis McDormand from Fargo. I think we're all transplants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Transplants, yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't, there is every, every so often we've got somebody that comes on staff. that has got kind of like the Fargo accent and it is fantastic. <laughs> it is beautiful. All right. This has been a great conversation. I want to thank Travis, Ramanda and Zach, and That's you've cool. been listening to bread for the people. Thanks, Jim. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.